Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. I'm Jordan, and I'm here with Steve you pronounce it EMT, Empt? Yeah, Empt, yep. Steve Empt. And Steve, you want to just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about what's going on, and then we'll hop into your story? Absolutely. Uh, Paralympic athlete, long-time athlete my entire life. I was in a bad automobile accident about 25 years ago. I'm 50 years old now, uh, which put me in a wheelchair uh, probably for the rest of my life. And... Uh, you know, just a lot of things have happened. A lot of things happened before my accident. A lot of things happened after my accident. A lot of decisions had to be made. And, you know, a lot of goals, a lot of goals were set and met. And now I'm a proud Paralympian and a uh, former teacher. I taught for 20 years. I coached basketball for 20 years. So not a lot in my life. And uh, right now I'm just curling, uh, the sport of curling on, on ice uh, in a wheelchair. It's, uh, I'm, you know, like I said, I was fortunate to go to 2018 Paralympics. And I uh, made a team again. So when we qualify, we'll go to Beijing in 22 and, you know, just try to bring home a medal. And uh, just loving life right now, enjoying every day and, uh, you know, just getting by, having a great time. That's awesome. That's really exciting. And for those who don't know, the Paralympics, is that the same year as the Olympics or how's that? Absolutely. Yeah. The, both the summer and the winter Paralympics are held in the exact same spots, same venues, same Olympic Village, just two weeks after the Olympics. Okay. So, uh, so like, like I said, you know, 2018, we were in, I was in Pyeongchang, South Korea for the Winter Olympics, two weeks after the Chloe Kims and the Sean Whites and, you know, yeah. Schiffins, all those, those great Olympians were there. So it was absolutely incredible experience. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's, before we start, let's just kind of, we'll go in and I just kind of want to hear your story in a nutshell from the beginning and then we'll take it we'll bring you up to your accident we'll kind of dive into there a little bit and then we'll just kind of have a good conversation throughout that sounds great that sounds great um like i said you know been an athlete my entire life uh, i grew up in a small town here in connecticut always out in the, in, in the driveway in the yard playing sports every season soccer basketball football baseball uh, my parents are very involved in the community and coaching and all that. So I was always at a field or a court somewhere every, you know, seven days a week, uh, usually with, you know, practicing, hanging out with my brother. I have a brother and two older sisters, so they were playing. So I was always hanging out with older older kids. Uh, so I picked up, you know, sports pretty easily. I was, I was, I was a very good athlete growing up my entire life. Um, 
you know, by the time I finished high school, I was a three sport uh, varsity letter winner in soccer, basketball, and baseball. I was a third team all American soccer goalkeeper, um, number one in New England. Okay. I, yeah, I still have the in basketball, I was all, all state. I still have the scoring record for my high school here in Connecticut, 70 something year history of the high school, wow. uh, about 1,500 points. And then I was an all conference baseball player. So basically, I, whatever I picked up, whatever I tried, you know, with, with hard work and, and all that, I, I excel that. I, I love I love being outside and, and just participating in the team and sports and playing. So through high school, I was being recruited to play soccer and basketball in a bunch of colleges around the country. I decided to go to West Point, United States Military Academy in New York. Uh, my junior year in high school, my athletic director gave me some, you know, a pamphlet, a pamphlet on the soccer team there. And I saw the uniforms and I saw the military and I, you know, all the glitch and glimmer. And I went home to my mom and dad. I said, I want to go to West Point. My dad was like, you are insane. He was like, you crazy? You know what that place is? And because uh, he's a vet, you know, he was in the military himself. And I said, no, I don't. But I, you know, I see all the pomp and circumstance in West Point and I want to go. And he told me a little bit about it. And it was kind of awakening as to, you know, getting up at four in the morning and being told what to do and all that stuff. So, but I ended up going to West Point. I was there for a couple of years. Uh, my freshman year, unfortunately, when I was 19 years old, I was, uh, it was a late Sunday night in West Point from where I live. It was about a two hour drive. Okay. My parents would usually come to West Point on the weekends and pick me and my, a couple of my buddies up and, and bring us home to my house so we could, you know, relax and live a little. Um, what's that? Be people, like be alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Now, don't, be, don't be robots. Don't be cadets. <laughs> so uh, be humans. So one weekend in, uh, in like the fall of 1989 when I was 19 years old, same, same thing has been happening the past couple weekends. My parents dropped us back off at West Point. And as they were driving home, my father was driving and he you know, said to my mother, listen, I'm, I'm a little tired. I want to go in the back and sleep. And he went in the back of the caravan and my mother was driving. And in the middle of his sleep, he had a massive heart attack and he was gone instantly. You know, my, my father was a, a mentor of mine. My father was my, probably my best friend. My father was my coach. He was my confidant and everything. I learned a lot from my father. And here I am now at 19 years old just being told in the middle of the night that my father had just passed away. It was absolute shock. I remember sitting in my company commander's office and I was paralyzed, completely paralyzed with, with fear and emotion and numb and I couldn't move. And I was, that was my first time in my life where I witnessed, um, you know, death, witnessed the loss of a loved one. I went home. It was a Sunday night. My company commander drove us home. We buried my father on Thursday. And then I went back to West Point on Saturday and, you know, it took a couple of days off. And West Point told me right away, he said, listen, Steve, go take a semester off, get your head clear, get the counseling, be with your family, be with your loved ones, come back and uh, pick up where you left off. And I didn't do that. I, you know, I was invincible. I'm 19 years old. I'm, I'm Steve Amps. I'm the stud athlete in the high school. I'm one of the most popular kids in the school. You know, I can, I can handle this. You know, I'm mature enough. I'm tough enough. And it was a big mistake. Big mistake. Uh, academically, I never recovered. Uh, for the next two years until the end of my sophomore year, I was on academic probation, wasn't allowed to go on leave anywhere. All my classmates were going to Florida and you know Texas and all that to get out of the cold New York winters. But I had to stay there because of the academics. And it just caught up to me. 
I had made a decision to resign after my sophomore year. Came back to Connecticut and, uh, you know, to be with my family, be with my mom, be with my brother and my sisters and, 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 and closer to home. My mother's a very strong woman. My mother has uh, been, been through a lot in her life. Uh, she's definitely my rock. Uh, and, and she needed us. She needed the whole family. She needed all our kids around, especially me being a baby. Um, my, my brother and my sisters, not that they weren't successful because they are all successful people right now, but I was the first one in my family to go to a college. Uh, oh. I was the stud athlete. Um, you know, my father had pictures of me on his desk, you know, and not that, again, he wasn't proud of my others, my siblings, but you know, I, I was the, I was the baby of the family. You know, I was I was the one that they you know gave a lot of attention to. I didn't get into much trouble. I don't know you know if you have siblings or what, but you know my older siblings got in all the trouble. I didn't. They learned. You know my parents learned that way. So, uh, so it was it was difficult difficult losing my father uh, and coming back to Connecticut and thinking back now and and I wouldn't have said this back thirty years ago when it happened thirty one years ago. Um, I started drinking a little bit. It started, I think, masking some of the pain and some of the, you know, lack of a better term, suffering uh, with the loss of my father. And I, and I turned to drinking a little bit. When I came home, I enrolled at the University of Connecticut. You know, it was 20 minutes from my house, hometown school, great school, great basketball. Real quick, just that, that drinking, that happened at West Point or just kind of afterwards or? Well, I always, you know, I always, I was always around alcohol growing well there's up. like social drinking and then there's like drinking like drinking drinking right and i and i found myself you know when i when i got to yukon and i enrolled there you know the casual drinking in high school the social drinking in high school the social drinking at west point turned into thursday friday saturday night drink yeah sometimes you know waking up in my apartment and not you know with an empty wallet and not remembering where did all my money go last night yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, so the social and the in the casual drinking turned into more of that. Yeah, and I hate to use the term alcoholic because it is yeah. a nasty word and it's disgusting. But uh, probably was turning into an alcoholic, yeah. and you know, my fa- my father's death was a was a key factor in that, without a doubt, without a doubt. So. Got to UConn, like I said, um, playing basketball one day. I was noticed by one of the coaches on the UConn staff, and they asked me to walk on to the ba- basketball team at the University of Connecticut. So 1992 to 1994, and there I am on a court with guys like Ray Allen and Scott Burrell and you know, Kevin Holly and Daniel Marshall, all these guys that played, you know, Ray's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know, and I'm running around a court playing for Coach Calhoun, who's a Hall of Famer, national championships, just – Absolutely incredible time in my life. Two years, traveling around the country, staying in the best hotels, being on TV all the time. I played 38.7 seconds of basketball in two years. Uh, I don't round down to 30 or round up. I'm very proud of those 38.7. The practices were my games. Um, yeah. Yes, I dunked on all the time. Uh, no big deal. Uh, but it was just incredible, incredible experience. Now, going back to the drinking again, now when, when you're a major college athlete like that, Unfortunately, you put up on a pedestal, and I was a walk-on. You know, I I wasn't on the same level obviously as the Rays and the yeah. Scott and all those guys, but I was still put up on a pedestal by people around campus, by uh, yeah. restaurants, bars, by professors. They gave right? you more privileges, absolutely, which is wrong. 
Absolutely wrong. And I took advantage of it at the time. I, re I regret doing that. Uh, late to class, leaving early from class, going out and, uh, you know, drinking for free, eating for free, all those things. And so now, again, what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, the casual drinking, the social drinking turned into right, every Thursday night, every Friday night, every Saturday night, you know, let's get a keg of beer. Let's have a party at my apartment. Let's go out to the bars afterwards. Let's drive you know, out, let's yeah. drive home two o'clock in the morning drunk. Um, many times I got pulled over on campus. Never once got a ticket. Never yeah. once got you know, arrested. Now was, the, now, was that the times or was that because you were you, a uh, UConn both. basketball player? Both. Both. I think, um, you know, I, I would hope now, I haven't been up on campus. I'm not sure how it is. And, you know, yeah. so I would hope that that's different now. Um, so I think I it's a little bit. I think it's I think it's the times, and I think it's you know what is Coach Calhoun going to say? What is you know how, we don't want a UConn basketball player getting in trouble. We don't want the negative press. Oh wow, okay. You know, even though I was a walk on, you know the other guys weren't doing it. You know I wasn't out. I was not hanging out in a bar with Ray Allen. He wouldn't do that. He's you know he better than that. Um, but but I was doing stupid things. Yeah. You know, I grew I grew up twenty minutes from the school. I was you know happier than a pig and crap, and uh, you know on campus with Connecticut written across my chest. And I'm look at me, I'm a big stud. I'm invincible. Yeah, I'm, stud. I'm playing for UConn. I got all the gear and the sneakers and all that. And Especially being a Connecticut guy, that's one of the biggest things you can do. Absolutely, there's not <laughs> much more to do out here in Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> The, the no sports teams that, that it leads you guys to UConn basketball, that's the biggest basketball there is for the whole state. Absolutely. Yep. Sure? We, don't, we don't have any pro teams. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, we rally around the UConn Huskies here. And uh, I was a part of it. And I was a major part of it. I'm, I'm on a court. You know, I'm in front of 10,000 people on campus. I'm playing, you know, I'm sitting on a bench, not playing, but sitting on a bench in front of 20,000 people in the Harvard Civic Center. You know, just absolutely incredible experience. Incredible. Unfortunately, you know, those, I played for two years. I played for two years at West Point, so my eligibility was up, so I had no more basketball. I quit University of Connecticut because I, I wanted to go out to work. My mother was paying for my tuition at the time. Again, now here I am, 24 years old, thinking I'm man enough to get out of my life and deal with everything and the whole nine, and I was still immature. I was still doing stupid things. I was still making terrible decisions as far as the drinking, leaving college. You know, that, just stupid decisions. So I decided to go out to work on my own and, 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 and try to make some money. And, and you had like a semester left or a year left? or I had, about, I had about a year and a half left. Oh, just due to all the transferring, basketball, Correct. you don't get as many credits. Because right. you're traveling right. all the time. There's no march. <laughs> right, right. And coming from a military school, you know, there's, not, there's a couple classes the first year that I took at West Point, first two years that only a couple of them transferred because a lot of them are military classes. Makes sense. Makes sense. So I still have probably a year and a half to go. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't want that. I wanted to go out and make money and live my life and get on with everything. It's a bad decision. That led me up to March 24th of 95, not of my accident, where everything changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember that day. I remember it clearly. Uh, Myself and two of my buddies, we were out working and we decided, you know, what are we going to do tonight? The March, March Madness is on, you know, just let's go out and watch some games, get something to eat. So we all, we parked, I remember parking my truck at a commuter parking lot here in Connecticut. 
got into my into my buddy Glenn's truck, and and my buddy Pat was already in the truck. So the three of us went to a local bar, and again, right when I got into the bar, they recognized me as being a former UConn player. Whatever you want, Steve, help yourself. You know, take take the picture to the to the taps, get all the beer you want, go in the kitchen, help yourself. Don't worry about anything. We got you. It's all comped. You don't have to pay a dime. Don't worry about a thing. And unfortunately, again, like I was at the time, not a you know, very good person. I took advantage of it. We were drinking, you know, five minutes turned into an hour, turned into a couple hours, drinking and drinking, drinking. I don't remember much from that night. Yeah. So from what I was told, I got into a physical altercation with another patron at the bar and uh, beat him up pretty bad. Oh, and the, the owners and the bartenders had to call the ambulance and the police were coming. So they basically said to my buddies, you know, get Steve out of here. Steve's a UConn basketball player. They don't want that negative press. Yeah. You know, he's a player. So, you know, get Steve out of here before the cops come. We'll take care of everything. So they, my buddies, Pat and Glenn got me. They put me in the truck. We drove back to my to the parking lot. I remember getting into the truck. I remember putting brand new Dodge pickup truck, beautiful black truck, chrome, the whole nine. I remember putting the keys in the ignition, starting up and driving down the road. And that's the last thing I remember. So 25 years old right now. Got yeah. my whole my whole life ahead of me. Right? What am I gonna do? Am I gonna am I gonna get married? Am I gonna settle down? Am I gonna get buy the house, the white picket fence, the pet, the kids? You know, trying to make some decisions. And here I am now in the middle of the night, you know, driving down the road drunk, and I don't remember a thing. I had no idea what I was doing. From what I was told, I was traveling about 85 miles an hour on the highway. Oh. When I passed out behind the wheel of my truck, my truck went off the right side of the road and hit the bridge embankment and started to cartwheel and roll and flip oh, about no. 75 yards down the road. I didn't have my seatbelt on. Again, another stupid decision. I was found laying next to the truck. The truck came to rest on its roof in a ditch on the side of the road. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. Tires were blown out, sheet metal gone, windows smashed, all the glass gone. I rolled with it the entire way because I was found laying next to it. In the way I was found, a police officer just had to be driving the other way on the highway when his light shined off the palm of my truck. He pulled over. He got to the scene. He found me laying next to the truck, assessed the scene, got on the radio right away, said, you know, we got to get, you know, we got a patient here. They called, uh, they called in Lifestar Helicopter. I start flew to the scene, landed intended to me. Now, when something like this happens to the human body, a traumatic injury like this, a traumatic event, there's something that's called the golden hour. And they say that 60 minutes, right from the point of impact, that tragedy, for the next 60 minutes, if you can survive that and get through that, your chances of survival go up exponentially. Oh, wow. A lot of people, I guess, majority of people die within that first 60 minutes. So the police officer was just figuring that I was in a ditch for about 30 minutes. They took the helicopter, eight minutes to get to the scene. They tended to me on the ground for eight minutes, and it took them eight minutes to get back. So if you do the math, eight times three is 24. Add that to the 30 minutes. I'm looking at like six minutes to live. Now think about everything I've done in my life. You know, at 25 years old, I'm the greatest athlete ever to come from my high school, arguably, and I'll argue with anybody. I went to West Point. You know, for two years, one of the greatest colleges in the world. I played basketball and went to the University of Connecticut. I had a quality education, playing with some future pros and Hall of Famers. And 
And now here I am looking at six minutes to live. It's like, you know, what did I do? Why, why, why? A lot of questions. A lot of questions. They rushed me to the hospital. Multiple surgeries. Uh, they cut me open from, you know, basically my whole chest. Massive internal bleeding. Broke the majority of my ribs. Broke my back in three places. Uh, blew up both my knees. Had a head injury. I ruptured my spleen. Spleen is the organ inside of your body that helps fight off infection. I ruptured that, so I get sick pretty easy now. And most importantly, I severed my spinal cord right about the belly button. Severed it, like literally cut it in half. And because of that, I'm now paralyzed for the rest of my life from the waist down. Can't feel my legs, can't move my legs. Stick a knife in my leg right now. You know, I wouldn't feel it. I'd still bleed, but I wouldn't feel it. Um, two days of coma. You know, coma is when your body just shuts down completely and you're hooked up to machines that are keeping you alive. And every time I tell the story, I just amaze myself because I, you know, as I'm telling the story, I'm thinking back again of everything I did in my life, the most popular kid in school and the stud athlete and good student. And now I'm hooked up to a machine that's breathing for me and keep me alive. And the way I came out of my coma was I had a dream. And the dream was that I was at my mother's house uh, growing up in Hebron here, my parents' house. And it was a hot spring day, but it was kind of rainy and misty out. And I was in my old bedroom, and I remember the window was open, and it was so hot, like a cloud of mist came through the window. And I leaned forward into that cloud to cool myself off, and something grabbed me and threw me in a corner of a closet and started spinning me around in a circle. And as that's happening, I saw a beautiful, bright skeleton of a person. And all of a sudden, those bright lights came together at one point. And I woke up exactly at 6 o'clock in the morning, two days after my accident. Now, I'm not a religious person. And if you are, that's fantastic. You know, out there listening is, is beautiful. But personally, I'm not. But everybody I've talked to from here to California to Florida in the last 25 years of all this said the same thing. Probably my guardian angel. It's probably my father saying, hey, get back down there. Time's not up yet. You know, you messed up. You did something stupid. But get back down there and tell people your story. Talk to people. Talk to kids. Talk to adults. Talk to schools. Share your story with people so that you can impact their lives. You did something stupid. Take responsibility for it. You're not a bad person. We all make mistakes. But get back down there and do something good with this. Change lives. And that's what that to me, that's what living all is all about. You know, is 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 doing the best we can with our own life and then impacting others in the meantime. You know, being a positive influence, being a positive impact on those all around you that you come in contact with. So here I am now at 25. I woke up from my dream and I'm looking straight up and I'm laying on a hospital bed and all the bright lights like you see on TV. I've got tubes and wires hooked to me, keeping me alive in, in every part of my body. Yeah, every part. I have a respirator in my mouth that's breathing for me. My hands are handcuffed to the bed because the nurses didn't want me to rip the respirator out. The first person I saw was a doctor. She brought everybody into my hospital room when I woke up. And she leaned over my body. She said, Stephen, you've been in a bad automobile accident. You're never going to walk again. <laughs> and she left. God. Right? Like, who just punched me? Who just kicked me in the gut? Are you kidding me? Like, please, somebody gave me out of this dream. Yeah. 
where am I? What's going on? What's yeah. happening? Who's, you know, where's the joke? Where are the hidden cameras? You will never walk again. Those five words. She left me there. Now, remember, now I'm paralyzed at this point here, but I did so much damage to my body that I was on all kinds of medication and, and numbing stuff that I'm pretty much numb from the neck down. So I can't feel a thing. My mother came into my room. She leaned over my lifeless body, and I saw the tears in her eyes. And one teardrop, Jordan, fell from her eye and hit me on the cheek, rolled down my cheek. And she kissed me on the forehead. She said, Stephen, I love you. And she left. Oh, my God. Remember, now I'm numb from the neck down. I can't feel a thing. Yeah. The deepest <laughs> teardrop, deepest feeling that I've ever felt in my life, that one little tiny droplet of water was the deepest feeling I've ever felt in my life. I ever will. And she kissed me on the forehead. I love you. And she left the room. What, what did I do? No, why? Why? Why me? I'm Steve Ents. You know, I'm yeah. this can't happen to me. You know, this isn't supposed to happen to me. This is supposed to happen to some scrub or some person that's not great or somebody that's not doing good things in their life. This isn't supposed to happen to me. You know, so here I am now at 25, just a week prior. I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to start the world here. Get married, settle down, have a house, kids, boom, live the dream. And I was told I'm never going to walk again. Hmm. Oh, Tough one. Tough one. When you woke up, what were you, what were your thoughts? Where am I? Because you go from driving the car, having fun with your friends. Yep. And then you wake up and you're just like, wow. Where am I? What happened? What did I do? Yeah. Is everybody okay? You know, when you hear the accident, did I kill somebody? Did I kill Pat and Glenn? Did I, because I don't remember, you know, it was a crazy night. We were, we were having fun. You know, and, fun yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, we thought we were having a good time. <laughs> and here I am now. But what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do? For those two days that I was in a coma, family, friends, loved one, sitting, waiting in the waiting room of the hospital. You know, seeing the priest come into my room to read me my last rites, hearing the conversations between the doctors and my family, like, we don't think Steve's going to make it through the night. You better start making arrangements for his funeral. Like the hell I put them through. My mother, who just buried her husband of 31 years, six years prior, you know, the hell I put her through. My sister is my brother, my family, my loved one. It was I, selfish, absolutely selfish. Drinking and driving is a selfish act. You know, it affects so many different people. Uh, we go out there, we do stupid things, make stupid decisions. It wasn't right. It wasn't good. It wasn't healthy, obviously, physically, mentally, emotionally, everything. The hell I put them through. There was people, there was people there for two straight days just waiting for me to wake up. When's Steve going to wake up? Hopefully he's going to come out of this. Hopefully he makes it. And I don't want anybody to put anybody like that through anything like that i mean it's it's wrong yeah it's wrong. especially especially nowadays because it's you got ubers lifts 20 bucks even if you're going a far distance a hundred dollars it's not worth 
the pain that everyone's going through doing that. Like, if you can't put that into your night, you shouldn't go out. Without a doubt. Like, Absolutely. There's no point in you going, oh, maybe it's convenient. Who gives a shit? Like, I'm sorry, but no one cares about your convenience. Or pick up the car tomorrow. Like, it, this is a man right here who went through it and felt that pain. And that's not fair to anyone. No. Yeah. No, it's not fair to you. It's not fair to my family. It's not fair to everybody that was there. It's not fair to me. Yeah. It's not fair to you. You know, knock on wood, anybody this happens to. I mean, I'm lucky to be alive. I, it was a horrific accident. I should have been killed. The only reason that I am still here today, spreading my word and speaking about this to anybody that will listen, because I love doing it, but the only reason I'm here today is it was a cold night, and I guess the cold preserves the slows down the dying process, and I was in physically good shape. One of those two goes out the window, I'm a dead man. Oh, wow. It was a stupid, stupid decision. Stupid yeah. decision. And this affects so many people. I'm lucky to be alive, live life to the fullest, and just keep on going. But it was, it was a night that, obviously, March 24th of 1995, without even thinking about it, I can recount everything that happened that night that I can remember. And uh, I just hope people learn from my mistake and don't do what I did. Yeah, especially like nowadays, the drunk driving, you get in a lot of trouble and there is a lot of punishment. But at the same time, everyone still goes through that phase of I'm, I'm invincible. Like you're saying, who at 24 or 25 doesn't think they're somewhat invincible? Same thing to the coronavirus. I'm invincible. I don't need to wear a mask. It's the same exact idea because you don't know how fragile life is and you don't appreciate the fragileness of life. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Yeah. Completely and if you think it can't happen to you, you know, I will personally talk to you. I will send you, my mother unfortunately passed away a few years ago. I will send you my brother and my sisters and my loved ones and everybody that I put them through hell. I'll give you their phone numbers. They can happen to you. If you're stupid and you're doing stupid things and making bad decisions, especially with the drinking, especially with the drugs, whatever. The second you drink, the second you smoke, the second you take that hit, that line, that unfortunate, whatever it is, you're under the influence. And you're not thinking straight. You know, I, I coached basketball for 20 years, high school basketball, and I always told my players, you're out doing something stupid in the middle of the night, please call me. You know, I'll I'll get out of my bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and go pick up a 17-year-old because they're at a high school party and they did something stupid. I got no problem with that. I've done that with players, former players. I've done that with friends. Uh, it's just not, it's not worth it. Like you said, it's not worth it. Life's too yeah, short. What's the price that you value? Yeah. My parents are going to be upset at me. I'm, this, they're going to be much more upset if they find you in the hospital. Right. My, my parents always told me when I was in high school, when I was going out and I'm sure you heard it too. And we all, we've all heard it. Let us know where you are. Right. If you're going to Bob's, you're going to Mike's after that, let us know you're going to Mike's. If you have any questions, you know, please give us a call in the morning, you know, one, two in the morning, we'll come get you. Yeah. You know, my point that, I'm sure you've heard it. A lot of your viewers, I'm sure have heard it, but we don't, we didn't never took advantage of it. And I promise, I promise you that my mother would have gotten, would have loved to have gotten a call from me at two o'clock in the morning on March 24th of 1995, when I'm 25 years old saying, mom, you know, I screwed up. I'm really drunk. Can you come get me? as opposed to the one she actually got from the state police saying, Hey, your baby Steve was in a bad automobile accident. We think he's going to die. 
No yeah. shit. Come on. Come on, people. Come on. And, and a lot of that is because they hear it from their parents and everyone's like, I'm not going to listen to my parents. They're, they might be right, but that, that doesn't mean that they're just tougher to listen to. So I'm hoping that this podcast with you, Steve, is another voice going, this is wrong. This is incorrect. We shouldn't be doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's people around, there's friends, there's loved ones, there's spouses. You know, there's people around that will, will come get you. Uber, like you said, college campuses have, you know, lifts all over the place. Take advantage of it, please. This yeah. is not worth I love my life. I am lucky to be alive. I should have been killed. I possibly could be sitting here today, you know, as a quad, you know, yeah. not use my arms and legs because I did so much damage. I'm lucky to be paralyzed. <laughs> you know? How often, and no one, no one ever thinks about it. How often do you hear someone appreciative that they're paralyzed? Like, Correct. Like, I, I, I'm lucky to be paralyzed. <laughs> you know, how crazy that sounds. I played basketball with Ray Allen. I played for Coach Calhoun. I was at West Point. I was going to be a military. I was going to be a general in the military. Yeah. Now I'm lucky to be paralyzed. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. It's crazy. It definitely is. But, you know, I had I was in a hospital for months, rehab, learning how to be in a wheelchair. Um, you know, people when I when I was in when I was in a hospital the first couple of days after my accident, I would see a lot of questions. Where am I gonna go? How is this gonna be paid for? I mean, I heard rumors that my medical bills were over a million dollars. You know, just you know, what's who's gonna take care of me? Who's gonna bathe me? Who's gonna wipe my butt for the rest of my life? You know, I had so many questions I didn't know. People, visitors for days, visitors, straight visitors. And one day, I remember Glenn came in. Glenn was the one that, you know, I went out that night and he dropped me off at his at my truck. And he was probably there for 20 minutes and he could not stop sobbing and crying. And the only words that I could comprehend out of his mouth were, I'm sorry. And he must have said it a hundred times. Like, Glenn, it's not your fault. All right. Yes, you drive me off, but I'm, I made the decision. I'm, a, I'm an individual. I make my own decisions. You didn't do this. Right. But he's, he felt guilty. I don't know what, I don't know if I could be here right now with you, spending time with you and, and your audience and, and, and just spreading the word if I hurt anybody else or if I killed somebody, you know, and, and I could have very well, I could have driven my truck into a parking lot and taken out 20 people. Who knows? Yeah. He felt, he felt guilty. And I think he does to this day. I was in his wedding before my accident. And in the last 25 years, I've talked to him maybe 10 times. Oh, wow. Right? He feels guilty. You know, like he had something to do with this. And I, and I, we talk, you know, when those times we do talk, like, listen, and it always comes up. Man, this is my, this is my fault. I did this. I take full responsibility for this. You didn't do it. I did it myself. You know, let's, let's get work, work through this. Let's talk it out. Let's hang out. Just never came. Never came to him. I love, I love that perspective that you have right there, that you that you take ownership of it. Because some people go, oh, I was drunk. Like, it happens with people cheating on their girlfriends, cheating on their boyfriends, drunk driving, any any instance. Oh, I was drunk. I didn't realize. That's BS. crap. BS. Yeah. yeah. That's garbage. garbage. You got to take ownership for your actions, and you got to understand that everything you do is your fault. Without a doubt. And that's good things and bad things. Yep. Oh, yep. cool. You have a podcast and you reached out to Steve and he's on it. That's what, that's your fault. Like, that's my fault. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it can be good or bad things. You got that job. That's your fault. 
Mm-hmm. Alt just sounds like it's a bad word, but it can be a good and bad things. Without a doubt. Ownership. When we're 80 years old and we're looking back on the life that we lived, everything that we succeeded at, everything we failed at is because of us. Absolutely. That's it. Nobody made you do anything. Nobody made you get that job, that promotion, that house, the kids, the grandkids. You did that. Nobody made you get behind the wheel of your vehicle after you've been drinking. Nobody made you beat your wife. Nobody made you. You, you did that. Yeah. So I, I preach and I talk to people and I try to empower them to, to grasp that. Don't blame anybody else. There's no second place trophies. That's crap. Yeah. Don't blame anybody else for your, your shortfallings. You know, if you didn't get that promotion because you didn't work hard enough. If you didn't win that game, you didn't practice hard enough. If you got that promotion, then it's because of you. Celebrate it. Say I'm the greatest. You know, love yourself. Exactly. <laughs> love yourself. What's wrong with that? That's not ego. That's not conceited. That's confidence. Yeah. So many people walking around the world right now that lacking, they have it in them. They just don't want to show it. Yeah. It's, it's wrong with like, it's wrong for me to say I love myself and I'm the greatest. Why yeah. is that wrong? <laughs> you know? Completely agree. And some people want to fill these roles and, oh, if I start changing too much, then they might not like me. Then they're probably not the right people for you. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's not the group for you. Right. Get out and surround yourself with people that are going to push you. You know, you don't surround yourself. I I have a very limited, I have many thousands of friends, you know, but I have a very small group of people that I surround myself with that I know are busting their ass every day to become a better person, a father, uh, a, a brother, a teacher, whatever it is. I know they're going to put in the work, whatever it takes. And that's why, that's why I'm an Olympian. Exactly. And I'm successful. And that's why I, you know, I, I, I preach that to my boys. I've got two boys and my wife. Surround yourself with good people that are going to push you. They're going to tell you that you're wrong. They're going to tell you that you suck. Yeah. And I, Nothing wrong with that. They're pushing you. Surround yourself. Exactly. And you got to be around people that hold you accountable for what you say you're going to do. You don't want to lie to yourself. You want, yo, you said you were going to be at the gym. Where are you at? Like simple activities. But let's get back to the thing. So you're in the hospital and then you, you're there for a couple months and then what happened? People are visiting. People are visiting. Um, You know, they, they say there's these, you know, stages of, grief and denial and when something bad happens. And I'm, I'm a somewhat believer in that. There was a couple of days when I was in a rehab hospital. And again, the nurses were carrying me from my, my bed to my chair. And that's humbling to say. They dropped me. And they dropped me on my wheelchair. My tailbone hit the tire of my wheelchair. And it bruised my tailbone. And a bruise for somebody that's sitting in a wheelchair all day long, a bruise on their backside, could kill them. It's off. It's it's very dangerous. It's something that can take your life because it just you don't feel it. Obviously, you don't take care of it. It eats away. Next thing you know, it, it's just it's a big mess. It can kill you. So for two straight days, I had to lay in bed on my side with my butt cheeks taped wide open for the whole world to see, so my my tailbone could heal up. And that's when I hit rock bottom. That's the low point, low point of my life, without a doubt. Two straight days of being a negative person. Two straight days of, all right, I'm going to kill myself. Because 
I don't want people to take care of me for the rest of my life. I don't want somebody coming over when I have to, you know, wipe my ass. I don't want to have somebody feeding me. I don't want to have somebody bathe me. I'm going to be a burden. Who's going to want me now? I'm a vegetable. I didn't know. I thought about maybe this world's going to be a better place without me in it. Two straight days of the negative and the, and the feeling bad and feeling sorry for myself. And woe is me. It was awful. It was hell. It was dark. The two darkest days of my life. But then something great happened. My butt healed up. The nurses put me back in my wheelchair and they wheeled me down to the pool. They put a life jacket on me and they put me in this little chair that lifts you up over the pool and drops you back down. So, And I love the water. I had a house in New Hampshire growing up. I was in the water all day swimming. I love the water. As I'm getting lowered into the water, my feet hit and I, I couldn't feel anything. And it was just, I remember being, it was weird. Whoa, what's going on? And I see the water rising on my legs and I couldn't feel it. I mean, this is weird. It's my pelvis, my hips. I couldn't feel it. What's going on? And then I hit my hands and my arms, my chest and my face. It was like, wow. And again, I'm not religious, but it was like, I was born again. Yeah. You know, it was like, let's go. So yeah. here I am now floating around in a pool in Wallingford, Connecticut with a life jacket on, not swimming. I didn't know how to swim at the time. I had to teach me that. I'm just sitting there floating in a pool and thinking to myself, I've got a decision to make. You know, I've got this incredible challenge ahead of me. I've never, ever backed down from a challenge. I've always faced it and manned up, but I've got the ultimate decision right now. I can either continue what I've been doing for the last two days and be a negative person to myself, but everybody around me. You know, nobody wanted to be near me because I was so bad. I can kill myself and get it over with. Or, screw that. I can get the hell out of this pool. I can get the hell out of this life jacket. Get out of this hospital. Get out of my life. Love. Live. Succeed. Bring on everything. So right there in that pool, I made a decision. Let's go. It was a defining moment in my life. Bring it on. Whatever it is, whatever it's going to take, I'm going to kick its ass and I'm going to do it with 100% of my effort. I don't like, you can't give 110%. People say, oh, I give 150%. No, you can't. I'm going to give 100% to everything I do for the rest of my life, everything I do for the rest of my life, and I'm going to succeed because of it. I may fail at times. Failing is good. No second place trophies. But failing is good because you learn from it. In life, something I live by every day. There's winning and there's learning. There's no losing. You can't lose. Right? You can't you lose. Keep going. Yeah, you lose if you quit. Correct. You, 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 you fall short of your goal, you learn from it, and then you move on. So there's winning and there's learning. There's no losing. So that day in the pool, the finding moment of my life, bring it on, let's go. I got out of the hospital as soon as possible, record pace, boom, hit the gym, did everything the doctors were telling me, did everything the nurses were doing for me, went to therapy, did this, boom, boom, boom. And got out of my way and got home. So I get home and I think everything's good, right? Hey, I'm 25 now. All right, I'm in a wheelchair. I'll figure things out. I got therapists coming to my my apartment, having a good time. And then boom, 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 one day there's a knock on the door to the police officer. I'm like, damn. I was drunk. I was drunk driving. He's there to place me under arrest. And I'm like, come on, man. Are you serious? Like, I just got out. I was months in the hospital, surgery. So Get my hardware I got a brace on. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. 
you broke the law, you know? And I told him, I said, I understand that. I take responsibility for it. And I was just joking with him. I know I'm like, I take full responsibility. And he felt, he felt upset. And he said something to me, Jordan, that I'll never ever, one word that I'll never ever forget. He looked me in the eye and he said, I don't believe why I'm here. I don't understand why I'm here. You're going to suffer for the rest of your life because of what you did. And I have to come here and arrest you. Suffer. What do you mean suffer? I'm not going to suffer. He felt bad. He's literally right. Telling me this. He's got tears. He's like, you're going to suffer for the rest of your life. And I said, as nicely as I can, or anybody can to a police officer, get the hell out of my apartment. You know, take my license, put me under arrest, do what you got to do, and then get out. Because I'm not going to suffer. I screwed up. You're doing your job. I screwed up. That's why you're here. Do it, get out, and I'm going to move on, and I'm going to serve my punishment. I'm going to, whatever it takes, get through all this, and get out of my life. I had to go to court, convicted felony, drunk driving. My blood alcohol content, blood alcohol content was 0.12, way over the legal limit. Alcohol anonymous classes for 10 weeks. You know, and that's when I learned a lot about the alcohol. You know, you, you think about drugs and becoming addicted. Yeah. Is a drug, you know, but people come addicted to alcohol and they're alcoholics. And people sleep, a lot of people sleep on it because they're like, oh, it's just alcohol. It's just three, five, six drinks a night. It's not a big deal. And then you sit there, you need someone to walk in and go, what are you, what's going on here? Like, right. Not, you, it shouldn't be every day. Oh, I have a bad day. Now I need to have a drink. Like it's the depend. Yeah. It's really a lot of people underlook it because it is legal. It Correct. Is. And it's a sickness. Yeah. It is absolutely. I learned that first night in those classes, I'm like, there's a circle of about 12 of us and I'm hearing all their stories and I'm like, you're sick. You know that you're sick. That's weak. That's yeah. sick. And after 10 weeks of hearing their stories and how they were dependent on alcohol and they needed it to survive, they were sick. Yeah. And they were because of what alcohol was doing to them. So sketchy, sketchy times, sketchy. You know, by definition, I'm an alcoholic because it put me yeah. in a wheelchair. You know, I made a bad decision when I was drinking. So by definition, I'm an alcoholic. But I'll tell you right now, I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been a college, successful college student where – I'm drinking every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, sometimes Sunday, Wednesdays, five, six. Yeah, what the hell? Right? You're in college. And waking up, not remembering the night before, waking up next to somebody, who the hell, how'd you get here? Yeah. But I've also been now where I don't drink 100th of what I used to. I work out every day physically. I meditate every day. I positive imagery with my sport every day. My mind is clear. I eat right. And believe me, this life is so much better. So much better. And I know that's probably hard for, you know, high school and college kids to comprehend. Yeah. But I'm telling you. It's you're taking control back. Correct. Taking control. And and those are a lot of things that I, like with Edwards Consulting and what we do, a lot of the stuff we preach, like working out, you want to work out every day, even if it's just a little bit of a sweat. You, because you're sweating, you're kind of resetting your body, and you're making yourself feel good. And yep. then you are to drink a lot of water, eat healthy, think about it's not, 
it's like positive thinking, but it's also looking forward to things in the future. Absolutely. And, 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 and you, you do that every day. And it does, yeah. you know, you the future is not 10 years from now. I mean, the future for me is this afternoon and tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm just saying every day I do lemon water with cayenne pepper in the morning, followed sure. up with celery juice. Yeah. You know, I don't get any fast before noon and I've never felt better. But every day, bring it on. You know, life is beautiful. I just, I can't, I got goosebumps. I mean, I love it. I love it. And people, you know, after I get done speaking, I, I'm a public speaker now. I speak to high schools. I speak to, to corporate, you know, and every time if, if my wife is with me or somebody, you know, somebody in the audience will come up, is Steve really like that? Is he really like that all the time? And my wife loves it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was sometimes a little too much. It just, you know what? I should, I should I'm lucky to be paralyzed. I shouldn't be here right now. But I am, so you're going to get the best of me. Yeah, and there, there's so many people that are so negative that your little positive light, even though you're one eight billionth of the people on the planet, it shines. Absolutely. It's right, and like that's what I'm trying to do, and I think anyone who's trying to make a positive impact in the world is trying to do. Now, yep. the thing I wanted to dive in on a little bit was two points that you brought up. One was your breakthrough, where you're in that pool. And I, because I know there's so many people that are going to listen to this and that are just living their life. And it might be a later on point. It might have already happened, but they're at a point where they're like, I need a change. I need a breakthrough. What is that? So I'm just curious how that pool experience was. This is it. We're going. I'm changing it around. For me, it was just, it wasn't anything the doctors said or did. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have other people in the hospital to talk to. I didn't have, you know, former patients, you know, when you get injured, the hospital's like, listen, you know, go call Steve. This happened to him 10 years ago. He'll be your mentor. Yeah. I didn't have a mentor in that term uh, when I'm sitting there in the pool at that time. For me, it was just what it was inside of me. It was yeah. everything that was instilled with as a kid. It was the hard work. It was the teamwork. It was the individual. I mean, everything that my parents did in sports and school, all my experiences, it was me inside that said, I have to do this. That nurse over there is not going to do it for me. The doctor I talked saw this morning is not going to do it for me. My girlfriend, who was an amazing woman at the time, I'm no longer with her, but still love her to death because she helped me through this. She's not going to do it for me. You know, my mom, my brother, no, it's, it's, it's us. And we need to treat ourselves a lot better than what we are doing as a society right now. You know, so many people want to go out and help others and do things for the communities. No. And, and they're messed up in their heads and they're not set themselves. Slow down, come back. When we're faced with this defining moment, when we're faced with this breakthrough, like you said, when you have to do it, then you do it. It's like learning to drive for me again. You know, people ask me all the time, well, it must be hard because I have hand controls and this and that. It must be hard to drive. Well, when you can't move your legs, you have to drive with your hands. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. you got to wait for Jordan to come pick me up so we can go out. Yeah. You know, that's that. I, don't, I mean, I love you to death, Jordan, I don't, but I don't, want, I don't want you coming to my house to pick me up. I'll meet yeah. you somewhere. You know, so the breakthrough is when you have to do something. And yeah. look inside yourself. You've got it. You've got it. No matter what it is in life, everything is possible. Everything. And and a lot of people are having these instances with what's going on with uh, uh, bringing that to the outside world with COVID going on. A lot of these companies couldn't didn't think that they could work remotely. 
they have to work remotely. Now, the thing is that a lot of people, you might be living your life and you might not be, uh, let's go, for instance, burning the boats by being paralyzed, but you, there's people that need a change and you got to take ownership of that. Like, like Steve is saying, everything is ownership. I made the mistake. I got better. I did it all. It's my story. And that's what I love about you, Steve. You're, you're all about the ownership. Absolutely. Extreme ownership. Hell, yeah, for sure. There's nobody, nobody did it to me. Nobody's going to help me. I'm bringing it on. And we all have that in us, Jordan. We all have it. Yeah. I mean, I don't care how weak or strong you think you are. If you think you're a weak person, everybody. My wife is a perfect example. She, she had a terrible experience before with, with her ex-husband. You know, 14 years of abuse and, you know, not physical, but mental, which is, in my opinion, but worse. And when I first met her four years ago, she was, I mean, you couldn't even, you know, speak loud next to her because she was just in a ball and just so guarded. And now she's got her own business. She's a massage therapist and she's teaching and coaching and, and got two beautiful boys and it's loving life, you know, and I didn't do it for her. Her parents didn't, her ex didn't, you know, we're talking about, you know, before bad things even, you know, happening to make you stronger. She did it herself. We all have it. You know, it might take somebody, you know, it might take you or me, you know, shoving our fist down her throat to pull it out of you. Yeah. You, yeah. You got it in you. We'll show you the way. We'll help you. But we're not going to do it for you. Exactly. Exactly. And I hear that all the time because people are like, sometimes I'll be coaching someone and they'll go, Jordan, what, what are you doing? Like, 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 you tell me these things. Why is it not working? They're not taking action. There you go. Take the actions. You know what yep. I mean? You got to do the work. And that, that's yep. what it's all about. And then the second thing I wanted to dive into was what you were saying about the cop and how he wanted to, you were going to suffer. But you said, absolutely not. What, what, how do you get that mind state and what, what's going on there? I think, I, with, again, with me, it was just, you know, I, I knew at that point in my life, especially after those two days of contemplating suicide, I knew what he meant by suffer. I knew that if I wanted to go that route, I would have to have somebody come over and wipe my ass every day. I would have to have somebody come over and feed me. And I would have to do this. And I would live on disability for the rest of my life and, you know, just die. And just like a wilted flower, just screw that. Screw that. You know, we, got, we are living in the greatest country in the world. We are free, and I've traveled the world, and I've seen other countries, and I've talked to people where kids can't go out in the streets, or they go out in the streets, and there's war-torn buildings. I mean, God, I'm looking out the window right now, and it's a beautiful summer day, and there's grass and green, and kids are playing, and life is beautiful. You know, be a part of it. Be a impact in it. So the second he said that, it was easy for me. It was like, no, I'm not going to suffer, because I already put that in the past. I did suffer for two days, and it was hell, and it was the darkest days of my life. And I don't ever want to go back there. I will never go back there. I don't want anybody I know to go back there. But I went through it. I did suffer for two days. And I made the decision right there in the pool. I'm done. So when he said that, it was easy for me. No. No. Take my license. Get out. And he did. Yeah. That, that's amazing. I, I love the I love the headspace that you were at. Yeah. Where you still are at. Because... There's many people that go, oh, like I'm in Tampa, Florida, and they'll walk outside. It's too hot out. Is that really your biggest thing in life? You got to complain about something? Come on. Yep. Just appreciate it. That's There's what it's so, about. 
so many people that are just negative and complaining and, you know, glass half full, half empty, you know, the whole pessimism, optimisms, but no, every, every challenge. And, you know, I try to teach that to our boys now and basically everybody around me knows that. Yeah. And people that I have in my life now love me for who I am. You know, I'm the same person I was before my accident. I'm better now because of the accident. I'm better now because I went through all that crap and it made me stronger. And before I was six five, but now I'm four five, you know, because I'm sitting down all the time. You know, so the people that are in my family now, my wife, kids, my best friends, everybody have come to my life in the last 25 years and they love me for who I am. You know, not what I could do or what happened before or being a stud athlete or no. So, you know, I take pride in that fact. I take pride in, you know, being positive and being an inspiration and being, you know, a, a role model for anybody to get out of your yeah. own way. You know, yeah. stop, you know, self-pity. Stop, what was me? Stop, you know, like you said, too hot or too cold or, you know, I'm not feeling, no, screw that. You know, get out. Because at any time, I mean, I could have, I could have killed you on a highway 25 years ago. You're, you're a young buck, so you, you weren't alive. But I could have killed you on a highway, right? I could have taken out a family of eight on a highway when I'm, you know, at 25 because I was drunk. We don't know what's going to happen. And that's why you got to live every day to the fullest. Do you want your last days here or last minutes? God, a meteor could hit us. Who knows? Yeah, and that's even with uh, doing work you don't enjoy or doing whatever it is. You're stuck in a bad job, stuck in a bad relationship. It's life's going to end. Yes. You better just make the change while you still can, or at least set up a plan to make the change. Get out. Get out. Do it. Do it. Make that that decision and and put it in your heart, put it in your brain, and do it. Without a doubt. You just got to make that jump. So so now you're post accident, you went back to y'all for a little bit, you're a coach, teacher. How'd you get into curling? Hmm. So for 17 years or so after my accident, I, I mean being an athlete, I tried everything. Uh, yeah. tennis. I really never played basketball. Which, you know, there's a team in Connecticut, the Connecticut Spoke Benders, pretty good yeah. team. Um they were in my hospital room. I think I you know, woke up from my coma on Saturday, I think they were in there. Tuesday, recruited oh, me to. Really? Oh yeah. wow! Because right? I'm a UConn basketball player, so I must be good. You know, yeah. So they recruited me to play. That's hilarious. I'm right? That's really but, funny. But yeah. I'm like, dudes, get out of my room. You know, I just woke up. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to pee today. Are you yeah. going to basketball? You know, get out of here. Um, so I never, I you know, I coached high school basketball for 20 years. I never, never played. Um, and I'm happy. I'm fine with that. So I played, I tried tennis, you know, messing around. I raced, I did the New York City Marathon in uh, oh, wow. and right? 26.2, never again. That was hell. How'd you, how'd you, uh, just quick side note, how'd you train for that? Because I did the Lake Tahoe Marathon last year. Okay. And it was just an incredible experience. Like, I couldn't even imagine on the arms, but how right. many, how'd you, what well, was it? Just around town here on my hand cycle. I got a hand cycle, you know? Okay. Just here and on a track. And it was in New York, and I didn't think there was going to be any hills, but there's bridges in New York. Yeah. <laughs> me. And we started in Arizona, and it's six-tenths of a mile up a, up a hill. I'm like, oh, God, first six-tenths of a mile, dude. Come on. So, well, I'm sure you felt it. When I got done with that marathon, I was like, damn, bring on the world. Exactly. You know? There's there's some fulfillment you get from accomplishing such a challenge. Right. 
can't right. get it. They're not going to hand that to you. You can't just nope. get. You got to earn it. <laughs> you know right. what I'm talking about. You're out there for 26 miles. You got people looking at you. There's nobody pushing. Nobody's going to carry you. You know they're going to yeah. run right by. So, yeah, it's incredible, incredible experience. So I did a bunch of things. Seven years ago, I went to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, on a whim. Uh, about two and a half hour drive from here. I'm by myself. I drive up there. I check into my hotel, and I said, "Well, you know, I'm not from here. What do I do?" They said, "Well, you need to go down to Woods Hole, a little town in Massachusetts, right on the water, um, to Harbor." And they say, you need to go to this place called Pie in the Sky, the bakery. Get one of the cinnamon rolls. They have to die for it. All right? Just go outside. Beautiful day. Watch the boats come in. Just enjoy the day. All right, cool. I drive to Woods Hole. I park my truck in Woods Hole. I have to roll up a little hill. Well, no, it's a good-sized hill. So I roll up the hill. I'm sitting outside eating the cinnamon. And it was. It was good. It's good. The size of a basketball. It's huge. <laughs> that was fantastic. So this guy comes around the corner. 60 years old, hair slicked back, Italian-looking dude. He comes up to me and says, are you local? I said, no, nah, I'm from Connecticut, like two and a half hours away. And there was 10, 12 seconds of dead silence between us. And I'm thinking to myself, damn, I'm dead. Like, this guy's stalking me. So I'm playing on my route. Like, I'm going off of that pier, or I'm going down the hill, or I'm trying to get away from this guy. And finally, I said to him, do you mind telling me why you asked that? And he said, well, I trained with the Paralympic curling team here on the Cape. And with your build, I can make you into an Olympian in a year. Oh, wow. Right? And I'm like, hey, what the hell's curling? You know, I'm thinking curling beers or weightlifting or something. And I heard Olympics. I'm like, where do I sign up? Then his wife came around a corner. So I started feeling a little bit better, a little bit safer. So the two of them, Tony and Mary Colaccio from the Cape, incredible, incredible people. Tony, um, a little emotional here. Uh, he passed away uh, about a year ago from cancer. Just awful ran through his body and that was the first time in my life that I've had a, a cancer death close to me and uh Tony became another huge mentor of mine father figure uh this is an incredible incredible man talking about talking about to go off on a tangent here with Tony helping others he as a young kid huge Italian family and he the story that you know we always ask why because he would go out of his way doing he would go out of his way to help myself, anybody with a disability, physical, mental, no matter what it is. He would. He saw me pushing up the hill, and he parked his truck, and he walked around the town for 45 minutes until he found me. No. So literally, I got, I got stalked into the sport. But you ask him, why do you do this stuff, Tony? What's in it for you? And he said, well, when I was a kid, we had a big family. I remember one day we were eating Thanksgiving or something, and I had a cousin that was, and I'm speaking, I see you speaking. I have a cousin that was severely mentally retarded. And I remember my whole family were out in the yard playing games. And I remember looking at the house and looking at the window, and there's my cousin looking out at us. And he couldn't come out and play. And then a few months later, his cousin died. So Tony and his family were all pallbearers at the, at the funeral. And Tony, at that day, maybe he's 14, maybe, he vowed that he would never, ever go by anybody that's got a disability, physical, mental, whatever, and not include them in what he was doing. So he just goes out of his way to help. Anyway, absolutely incredible man so when he saw me pushing up yes i'm in a wheelchair i am disabled you know that's why he wanted to talk to me but he also saw that i'm good build i'm big you know so now he's recruiting me for curling so i got stalked into the sport he told me about it i went home i googled it checked it out I'm like this is something cool there's something i could do something different you know but i can get out on the ice a week later i went back up to the cape got on the ice i threw my first couple stones and it just the sport bit me 
It's absolutely an incredible sport. Everything about it, it's one-on-one, it's four-on-four, it's teamwork, it's individual, very mental. 99.9% is mental. Uh, Yeah, it's an incredible, incredible sport. Uh, Anybody ever wants to try it, you you know, your listeners and whatnot, I'll I'll bring you to a club somewhere. There's clubs all over the country, all over the world. But it's just, it's an incredible, incredible sport. It's, It's a total 180 from the football and the basketball, you know, you dunk on somebody and you talk smack or you hit a home run and you flip the bat, you know, there's none of that in curling. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a gentleman's sport. It's, you can go to any curling club in the world and within two hours, you know, the game, you've talked to the members there. You probably learned a bit about the language, you probably had a drink with somebody. It's a very social game. Um, but it's just, it's, it's just an incredible, incredible sport. And, you know, within, within, I think, two months of learning it, I was already close to the top of the ranks in the country. Um, made Team USA in 2014. Just missed those Olympics because they already had a team set. But for the last six years now, I'm a you know six-time national champion. Um, I'm currently the, the skip or the captain of the com- country. So you could say I'm ranked number one in the United States of America, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, 2018 Paralympian in Pyeongchang, South Korea, and made a team again for 22 and just get to travel the world and compete and socialize and meet and wear the USA jersey is absolutely an incredible, incredible honor. The first time I got them, you know, I, when I went to my first world championships in Korea back in 2015, you know, a big box showed up my door and I opened it up and, you know, there's the jerseys with M and the American flag and USA on it. And it was absolutely incredible. I cried. I cried like a, like a toddler. Uh, so proud. Just, you know, everything I've been through in my life, everything I've done in my life, every, the goods, the good, the bad, the losses, my parents. Like I said, my mother passed away. And, you know, I was the last one to, to leave the hospital room. We knew she was going, so we had a chance to say goodbye, which I didn't with my father. So I, you know, that was another big deal with my father and you know, we didn't have a chance to say goodbye. So I think that's, you know, trying to drown the sorrows and the alcohol a little bit there came up, but had a chance to say goodbye to my mother. And I told her as she was, took her last breath, I'm going to make you proud. I'm going to become an Olympian and, and eventually one day I win a medal. And, uh, it's absolutely, I'm, I'm blessed and I'm honored to be in a position I'm in to be able to compete for the country and take on the world. That's incredible. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Good stuff. Good stuff, but a lot of lot of blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of sacrifice, uh, time away. You know, when I was, I was, like I said, I was a teacher for twenty years. So when I was first starting out on this, I had to, you know, I missed probably thirty to forty days of school a year. Oh wow! Yeah, so my fellow so teacher, you, you just kept going up to the Cape. Yeah, yeah. At first, I would travel to the Cape, so it was a five-hour round-trip drive, <laughs> just to train and practice. Did that three or four times a week. Uh, and then there's a couple of clubs in Connecticut here, excuse me, that are like, you know, within an hour or so, uh, a typical train, a typical week for me in the season is, you know, I drive an hour, five, six days a week and train for a couple hours and, you know, drive an hour back home. When I was first in with the Cape, I would go all weekend. I would play a game. I, there's usually Sunday night games are like from six to nine or so. I would leave the Cape at like 10, 11 drive back to Connecticut, get in about one one thirty, and then be back in my classroom at six thirty 
Monday morning. Oh, to cover the whole weekend to get the most yeah. experience. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, emerging absolutely. You know, the story just hours and hours of perfecting the trade, and you know, you go back to the Paralympics, and you know, there's winning and there's learning, there's no losing. You know, people always, you know, obviously ask, you know, how'd you guys do? Did you win a medal? You know, where's your gold medal? And I did not medal. We did not medal. We actually came in last place. Uh, Twelve countries there. We came in twelfth. And that that bit me. That hurt me for like two days to say that. Like, yeah, last. Come on. Yeah. But then I learned so much. It was my first Olympics. I learned so much as as a team, as as an athlete, as a representative of the United States. Uh, everything that goes into being an Olympian, uh, it won't happen again. So, you know, winning, learning. There's no losing. Absolutely. You know, there's Absolutely. winning no losing so a big deal for me was and before i went to the olympics um uh lindsey vaughn the skier yeah. incredible one of the most decorated if not the most decorated female skiers in our country she had an interview with mike Torito during the olympics and in that interview she said listen you know we're all olympians here we all want to win but we all can't you know it's more important to go out there and be a good role model be a good teammate be a be a, a a positive influence on the millions of people watching back home, you know. To that's more important than winning a, a medal. And that quote right there, her interview, that changed my life because before I went to the Olympics, I was I need a medal. I need a medal. Like I know I'm not. I don't want a medal. I need to win a medal, and I will do anything it takes. But when I saw that interview, I actually wrote that part of it down. And I put it up on my wall in the Olympic Village, and I read it probably thirty times a day. And I made sure that I, when, I went, when I went on the ice in front of 4,000 people there in the arena and millions watching back home, that I was always smiling, having a good time. I was, you know, complimenting my teammates, congratulating them, pushing them. But I was also talking to my opponents, congratulating them, complimenting them, you know, just being a good, positive person out there. And it showed because just watching game film now, you hear the announcers saying things like, hey, you know, I want to curl with Steve Emps. You know, he's a great leader. Look at that. You know, he's he's not shooting well right now, but he's still upbeat, positive, and pushing his teammates and enjoying the experience. And, and that's that's what it's about, again. Yeah, you were contributing and trying to set the tone and who it was, and it, it's not the me, me, me show. And, like, yeah, I might be number one, but I'm not going to go bad-mouthing anyone. I'm going to try to bring him up. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think leadership stems a lot of that where you do the act, and then you bring the people with you. You're going to have to do more work than anyone out there. A boss will go and go, you got to do this. You got to, where they won't do it themselves. The leader is what, absolutely. Correct. Yep. Yeah. If you can't, you know, if you, if you want somebody to do something, you got to be able to be willing to do it yourself. At least try. And that's, and, and at least they, at least they should know you will try. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. If you want, if I want you to run through that fire, then I'm going to go first. Yeah. Well, you know? Be great and bring others with you. You know, don't boss them around. Lead them and bring them with you. Absolutely. So you've had a pretty wild and incredible life. What do you think your biggest success principle is? Like what, like from what's gotten you on the, because before, even when you got on the UConn basketball team, that's no joke. You walked on to a division one top tier team, like with some hall of famers, you, basically kind of walked on the Paralympics. Like you were, you were not, you've never done curling and then you become a curling expert pretty quickly. What, what's, 
what's the secret sauce? What, what are you what are you holding in there? Oh, come on, man. I got to save that for the next one, man. I'll bottle yeah. it. I'll tell it. No, it's, you know, it's, and thinking back in the last 25 years, and I've, and I've been fortunate enough to travel the world and, and compete. I've been fortunate enough to speak with people all over the country and, and listen to people and, and, and hear what they're doing. And for me, it actually came down to, this is a perfect segue and great question for my, the book I'm writing. It'll be out in about a month or so. Um, for me, we are faced, every day we're faced with decisions. Um, every day. Sometimes dozens, sometimes a hundred decisions every day. Some of those decisions have obviously greater consequences than others. You know, am I going to brush my teeth today or not? You know, whatever. Am I going to drink? Okay, different story. But the, the process that people the process that people use to go into those decision-making is skewed a lot and it's blurry and they sometimes they just do it and they don't put, you know, the effort into thinking, all right, you know, what do I need to change in my life right now? So my book that I'm writing, it's called you decide a six step action plan to becoming the hero of your own life. You know, you don't need to go out to get anybody else help look inside. You could do this. And they lay out six steps, six easy steps to follow from, you know, deciding that right now is, you know, something needs to change, educating yourself, creating a plan, implementing a plan, don't ever give up, and then evaluating your plan. The word decide is an acronym for that. When I look back now and everything major, major things I had to do in my life, overcoming the loss of my parents, um, you know, my accident, and the positive things, becoming a good person, becoming a coach, going back to college, going back and getting my teaching degree and my coaching degree and becoming a Paralympian. Everything I did there, I did these six things. You know, I'm sitting in a pool in, in, in the hospital saying, hey, I got it right now. Something needs to change. Or I'm sitting there thinking I could become an Olympian. Okay, something needs to change. Then I educate myself on both those. Boom, boom, boom. The good, the bad. Then I create a plan. I had goals written out. I had timetables written out. I got to do this by this. You know, and it, with the accident, I got to go ahead and, and get in the weight room and live this much to get out. You know, and then you put the plan into place, implement it. And then the big D, don't ever give up. Keep going. Love yourself. Power. You know, don't ever stop. Don't surround yourself with negative people. Don't listen to all that bullshit that people are saying that you can't do it. Can is not a word. My kids say, I can't do it. No, 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 no. Stop. I stop them right there. Yeah, you can do it and you will do it if you put your heart to it. Find a way. Find a way. And then take a step back when all that is and evaluate what's going on. Every day we need to evaluate. Every day. So to answer your question, I think that's that process right there. I mean, I've got it down to a streamlined process where it's boom, 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 boom. I know what's going on. But so many people don't, they're faced with these decisions. Like you said before, you're stuck in a nine to five job and I want to get out. But I've been saying that for two years now. Well, do it. Do it. You know you want to get out. There's your decision. Get out. Educate it. Where can I get another job? What can I, What else can I do? Create a plan. All right? Boom. Implement it. Don't ever give up and evaluate it. So for me, every major instance in my life, good or bad, has come down to that. I've got a decision to make. How am I going to do it? And then here's my plan, and I did it. And that's what I'm sharing now with the rest of the, rest of the world. You know, my book will be out. I think within six weeks, I'm going to try to launch it. And uh, get it out there and just you know give people something with a blueprint they can follow. Yeah, so many people are, want to, but won't. You know yeah. the, the abused wife. You know, get out. 
you know, the, the person that's stuck in a nine to five and, and has no, no chance for advancement and is miserable and wants to be a bartender, you know, get out, go be a bartender. Here's how, boom, 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 boom. It's yeah. Hard. So for me, that's, that's that decision-making process. Something needs to be changed. Let's do it. And what, what's the name of the book again? It's a, you decide. You a decide. Six, yep. A six step action plan to becoming the hero of your own life. Okay. I'm, and, and where is it going to be sold? It's going to be on Amazon. Okay. I'm definitely going to get a book. I think everyone listening should get a book for sure. Because we all have these issues that we face and we sit there and we contemplate, how should we do this? How, like, I know so many people that will come to me and I'll help them through a situation. They already knew the answer. They right. just need an outside source. So following this plan, well, you are your own answer. It Correct. helps you. Con- yeah. Yep. I love it. I love yep. the idea. I love the concept. I'm excited to read the book. I'm definitely going to get the book. I appreciate and, it. Yeah, yeah it's going to be pretty awesome. Yep. Okay, one one more. One last one. Yep. Where do you see yourself in the future? Like, obviously, you've had a wild 50 years, ups, downs, backs, ups. What, what's, what's the rest of the course looking like? Every day is beautiful. You know, live, live life, be a good person. Uh, you know, 20 years from now, I see myself looking back and, and being able to say that I gave 100% everything I did. Yeah, I might have started after 25 years old because I was an idiot before then. But, you know, I gave 100% of everything I did. I was a good person. I surrounded myself with good people. Uh, I taught. I led. I learned, never stop learning. Every day we're learning. And those are those those people that think they're done learning are are stupid. Um, you know, be a good person. You know, I got everywhere I go, people, you know, I'm I grew up in this community, so my, my two kids are amazed. Everywhere we go, we'll go out to eat somewhere and somebody comes up and recognizes me. You know, and, and or people stop by and see me in the driveway, you know, weed in the garden you know, garden and they stop by and help. You know, and and they're not doing that. I tell the kids they're not doing that because they think I need help. They're doing that because I'm a good person, you know. And that's that's what I want for everybody around me. Everybody I come in contact with, give a hundred percent of everything you do. You can't give one hundred ten. Don't do it. Give a hundred percent because it. When you succeed, you're going to pat yourself on the back, and when you fail, you're going to take responsibility for it and do better next time. And be good people. Exactly, and and like Steve's saying, the more you give, the more you receive with income, with everything. So when you start seeing the receiving, you'll know that you're doing the right thing and you're on the right path. Absolutely. Yep. Steve, you are the man. <laughs> you appreciate are the man. What? I appreciate your time. Yeah, no, this has been awesome. I loved hearing your entire story and I am definitely getting the You Decide book and everyone listening should. If you made it this far, for sure. It'll be in the show notes. Especially okay. when it comes out, I'll just add it to the show notes. But this has been amazing. Thank you for thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the entirety of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, which I hope you did, I'd really appreciate if you leave a five-star review and subscribe as we're going to keep putting out better and better content. If you want to keep up with us and who's going to be a guest and who's going to be on the show, follow me at at 
Jedwards559 on Instagram. It's J-E-D-W-A-R-D-S 559 on Instagram. I really hope you guys keep clocking in and you learn some valuable information from this podcast. And I hope to see you again soon. Everyone have a great day. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.